Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to join me in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 in the New Testament is where we're going to be this morning. And as you're doing there, I just wanted to kind of highlight one more time one of the announcements that was in our Salem Heights Today video this week about our upcoming Made to Minister conference. Uh, that is this weekend, Friday night and Saturday. And this conference truly is for everyone. All are welcome. Um, it is a conference designed to equip God's people to know how to use God's word to effectively carry out what God's called us to do, which is to care for one another. And so uh, we're going to be presenting on some different topics that are very, I think, relatable and relevant to you, um, regardless of whether or not you're serving in a counseling or mentorship a role or a discipleship role. If you're just part of the local church, this conference is for you. And so I would just, it's not too late to sign up. Uh, we have around 300 people coming right now. We, would, we have room for more. We would just like to invite you to join us and just be ministered to. Um, I think not only can it equip you to be able to minister, but it actually can maybe minister to you as well. So you can find more information about that on the church website and look forward to seeing um, many of you there this upcoming weekend. I'm really excited about this morning's message. What, do I not look like it? I really am. I'll build into it even more as we get going. You know, anytime the text, and this is often in God's word, that the text kind of drives us towards the gospel, I get excited. There's something settling. There's something that it does for me personally as we look at God's word. And, and really, there's nothing more important than we can, that we could talk about. It's the good news. The gospel just means, it's a word that means good news. And it's speaking of a victory that has taken place. It was originally a military term. Back in the days before there were comms and before you could see satellite imagery or you could send a drone, you would send a scout to the front lines of a battle to see if we were winning or if we were losing. And hopefully you'd have that scout come back to command post and say, the gospel, the good news, we have won, we are advancing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that the battle over sin has been won. And we should never get tired of hearing that. We should never become bored with that. It should never become too familiar. And so this morning I'm excited about this text because it is full of gospel truth. Many of you have seen it some of you have driven across it, but at 1.7 miles long and 90 feet wide, the Golden Gate Bridge is the second longest suspension bridge in the Americas. It's an iconic bridge. It's believed to be the most photographed bridge, one of the most photographed bridges in all the world. Here on the West Coast, we get the privilege sometimes of driving through that part of the, the country. But it's an amazing feat of engineering as it spans across this this body of water there. And every year, 13 iron workers and 28 painters work continuously to paint the bridge. It's interesting that they call it Golden Gate because it's actually orange. It's an international orange is the actual color. But every day, 13 iron workers and 28 men paint parts of the Golden Gate Bridge. There used to be this idea that they would paint it once a year. They would start on one end and they would paint it to the other end. And then as the year would turn over, they'd have to start again. 
But in reality, they're constantly painting it. They're touching it. Why? Because the salt water is corrosive to the steel of this big project. And the paint serves as a covering that prevents that irritation, that corrosion from rusting away and ruining the stability of this bridge. Every day, these workers go out, they, they put themselves in different harnesses and they strap themselves and they climb all over this bridge to paint it, to touch it up, to keep it protected. Because the harmful effects of the sea remain a constant threat to the stability of this bridge. I think the Golden Gate Bridge is a great picture of what it looks like to live in a sinful and broken world. While sin exists outside of us, this world is, is marked by sinfulness, it's broken, it's, it's evil, it's twisted. There is more sin that resides inside of us and that is the sin that is the, of greatest harm to us, is the sin that's internal. And like these painters on the Golden Gate Bridge, you and I, can spend hour upon hour upon hour tirelessly working to try to eradicate this sin problem inside of us. We can try to avoid sin. We can try to remove it. We can try to make up for sin. But what we would all testify this morning, if we're being honest, is that that has been all to no avail. That just when we think that we've overcome it, that we have a handle on our sin, that we are overcoming, that we are uh, no longer being ripped down by it, we see it creep back in and that struggle endures. This battle with sin is an ongoing battle and it's exhausting and often painful. I gotta believe that some of us this morning are coming into the room to hear the message, but we're coming in tired. We're coming in overwhelmed. We're coming in hurting. We're coming in even maybe upset because of sin, sin that has happened to us, sin that we see around us or sin that has been welling up inside of us and coming out of us. And we see the, the damage that it's caused. I want you to know that if you, if you braved church and you came in this morning knowing that you're an imperfect person and that you are overwhelmed by this sin problem, you're not alone. This is exactly where you need to be. See, church is not a place where you come once you've cleaned yourself up outside and made yourself presentable to God and God's people. No, you come here in your broken state to hear God's word because it is the only solution to our sin problem. Not just the problems of the world, which are, are many, and God has called us to be light in a dark world, but we have to start with dealing with the problem that's inside of us. And we can have victory over that. He can set us free from the power of that. But until we are with him and he removes sin completely once and for all, this will be a battle that rages on that we're gonna have to continue to navigate. And so this morning, our text has some good news for weary souls. Are you weary this morning? Maybe it's not you, maybe it's been you, maybe it's someone you know. I believe this message has something for all of us and it's a simple message of truth. You're not alone, help has come. Would you stand with me as we read Hebrews chapter 10, verses one through 18. We stand to honor God's word because we believe this is his word for us today. If you're ready to hear the word of the Lord, say ready. ready. This is the word of the Lord. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. 
Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Do you believe that's true? It is. You may be seated. Father God, as we turn our attention to this chapter, I pray that you would use it to show us the goodness of God, that it would remind us that we have a substitute, a perfect sacrifice that was offered in our place. And through him, we can trade whatever it is that we are carrying to receive your goodness and your salvation. God, use your word to speak to our hearts now. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Here's what I want us to be able to comprehend this morning. The gospel, this idea of the good news of what Jesus did for us, isn't something that God has given to us to add on to the lives we are building for ourselves. It is the reality that our lives were meant to exist in. The gospel isn't something that we say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll believe in the gospel and I'll, I'll hold on to it. I'll put it in my pocket and I'll carry it around with me in addition to what I'm doing. No, the gospel is the reality, the, the good news, the new life that he has given to me that he wants me to live and wants it to be my full existence. All fullness of life is in relationship, in union with God through the son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants for you today. He is not interested in the life that you want to build for yourself. He's not wanting to just bless what you say. This is what God's created me for. This is my identity. This is what I'm achieving. This is what I'm desiring. He's not interested in what you want to build. He wants to give you something much greater that can only be received. It cannot be earned. And it can be received freely because of what he has done for us. Through dying on the cross for our sins, being buried and rising from the dead. The gospel defines our life. If I'm a follower of Christ, it's because of what the gospel says about me, what the gospel did for me, what the, boss, what the gospel revealed about my need. If I'm a follower of Christ, the gospel directs my steps. It, it is a lamp unto my feet. It lights my path. It tells me how I'm supposed to respond to the sin I see outside of me. It tells me how I'm supposed to respond to the sin I see inside of me. 
And I'm a follower of Christ. The gospel defends those who put their trust in it. There is no accusation. There is no condemnation that can be leveled against me, no matter how pathetic and how woeful my life is, because in Christ, all things have been forgiven. All things are made new. And now I have a hope and a future waiting for me in Christ that can never be touched by anything here on earth because it's secured by God in heaven. That's the gospel. That's good news. Now there's a significant statement. I mean, we 18 verses, we can't unpack all the gospel truth that is here. But the verse that kept my mind kept going back to, my eyes kept going back to is verse 10. Would you look at it again with me? It says this, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. This is a significant statement. The gospel is a declaration that Christ died in our place, was buried and rose again. And everything we gain through having a relationship with God was secured through a perfect sacrifice by Jesus Christ. What does that mean? The good news, remember, is a, is a declaration of victory. So what, have we ha what do we have victory over in Christ? What did he secure for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead? Well, first, he's given us over, victory over the penalty of sin. The Bible said earlier, last chapter in chapter nine, that it is appointed for all of us to live one life here on earth. And then we will die and we will stand before the Lord. And there will be judgment that judgment will look very different for those who are in Christ, for those who are not in Christ. And the plea from scripture is, while you still have a chance, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. That's his desire for you and I. And the victory is saying that if, if you stand in Christ, when you stand before the Lord, it's no longer being judged for your sins. No, no, we, we face a different, how did we live in light of our gospel salvation? Our, our salvation is secure in Christ. Because when he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. He did it all. He's given us victory over that fear of ultimate judgment and eternal separation of God. But he's also given us victory over the power of sin. Before we are saved, the Bible says that we are blinded by sin. We cannot see. We think we're in control of our lives and we are being controlled by our sinful desires. But in Christ... The veil is lifted, the blindness is, is, is removed. We can see and now we can determine, we can actually recognize and discern, this is of the Lord. This is good, righteous, holy, pure, and true. This is not of the Lord. And we actually now have freedom in Christ to choose to follow Christ rather than to give in to the desires of our flesh or the enticements of the world. Before you had no power, it doesn't matter how strong you are physically, no matter how sharp you are mentally, doesn't matter how resourced you are financially, you have no power to overcome sin. But in Christ, that power has been broken. And now you have power and victory over the controlling influences of the flesh. But the gospel is also good news that he's given us victory over the pain of sin. Because sin is painful. You all know how you're sinful right now. You know, the sinful thoughts, the sinful actions, the sinful desires that you've had all week, even this morning, even right now. Oftentimes those bring shame, those bring pain. They cause pain, they cause shame. And we can carry that around and we can begin to believe a lie about our identity is that we are broken, we are beyond repair, we're unredeemable, and we're just gonna have to settle now and wallow in this mess that we've created for ourselves. 
The gospel says, I stepped into the mess. I can redeem you out of the mess and I can restore and bring healing to that which you broke. He has given us victory over the pain of sin. Do I need to say it again? This is good news. This isn't just hype. This isn't just propaganda. This is reality. This is good. And this is the news we need for today because we look around and we see the brokenness and it is so discouraging and it's so disheartening and it's so upsetting. But here's why the gospel is good news. Not only because of what it, it's given us victory over, but it's good news because it had nothing to do with us. Because without a perfect sacrifice, we would have no assurance that one day when we stand before the Lord, we would be acceptable in his eyes. We could try to believe that God's gonna grade us on our good works and our charitable donations, or, and hopefully he's gonna grade on a curve so I just have to beat out the next person next to me. But we would have no acceptance, we would have no assurance on our deathbed when we step over into that next life and we stand before the Lord if we would be found acceptable. We have no assurance of that apart from a perfect sacrifice that was given in our place. And we have no confidence that no matter how much we go to church and how much we listen to the message and how much we try to follow what the pastors are saying, that we have no confidence that we're actually gonna be able to overcome it because no matter how much determination we put into trying to live a good life, we continue to miss the mark. And that's why the gospel, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, is of first importance. Paul knew a lot. He was so skillfully trained in religion. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He had been proven to be a guy who had biblical knowledge at that time. He had intellect. He had notoriety. He had connections. And then he's called into ministry. He's radically changed. And he's given this mission by God to go and spread this gospel. And he says, I could tell you a lot of things, but this is the thing that I didn't come up with. It was given to me. And it is the most important thing that I can tell you. And I'm going to continue to tell you. And everywhere I go, I'm going to be, it's going to be the first thing that I'm going to tell you. The gospel is what we need because the gospel is by which we are saved. And so this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. This is just like the hesitancy in all people. Jews and Greeks means everyone. We're, all, we're looking for something that's gonna answer those big questions that is gonna give us some sort of assurance or confidence. And this is what Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And I love this next statement because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. No matter how strong you think you are emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, God's stronger. No matter how smart you think you are, he's wiser. Sometimes we forget how incredible the gospel is because we forget the tremendous sacrifice it required, what was required to secure it for us. So it's only when we plumb the depths of our sinful condition and how needy and how helpless we are that we will actually reach the heights of the gospel. We'll understand the beauty of what's being spoken about here in Hebrews chapter 10 as it talks about this perfect sacrifice that was offered on our behalf.
Jesus came to offer his life in place of yours. Jesus came to give his life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of all people. It was an act of grace, undeserved favor. We didn't deserve it. There was nothing that said, you know, I should go do this for them. They're pretty good. No, it was undeserved. It was a demonstration of love. The Bible says there's no greater demonstration of love than for someone to lay down their life for another. But it was an unfair trade. It's a great movie called The Sandlot where a group of boys play baseball and a kid named Scotty Smalls moves into the neighborhood and he gets invited to come and play baseball because they needed a ninth person. And so they invite Scotty, but he's not a good baseball player. One day they, they ran out of baseballs and so they needed a ball because they wanted to play baseball. They didn't have the money to go buy a baseball Scotty remembered that his stepdad had a baseball in his study. So he went and he grabbed this baseball and he brought it and they played baseball with that day until it was hit over the fence as a home run. Scotty's in sheer horror because he just lost his stepdad's baseball, who which he did not ask permission for. But he's even more horror when he realizes that, that ball was autographed by Babe Ruth. The most famous player, the great Bambino, the Colossus of Clout. So the rest of the movie is the shenanigans of this group of boys trying to retrieve this ball from Mr. Myrtle's backyard, which is being guarded by the beast. <laughs> and after several unsuccessful attempts of trying to get the ball, they finally do retrieve the baseball only to find that the beast has mauled this ball. It is destroyed. Mr. Myrtle hears the commotion in the backyard and he comes outside and the boys confess that they had hit a ball. They were trying to get it. They had caused the, the dog to break loose and the fence to knock down. Mr. Mr. Myrtle calls them in and unknowingly to these boys, Mr. Myrtle reveals to them that he was a professional baseball player. And he makes Scotty an offer. I will trade you this baseball that he had, which was signed by the entire 1927 Yankee team a very famous team in baseball history. I will trade you this ball for yours. They're like, that's unfair. I can't do that. He said, here's the only condition that you will come once a week and we'll just get to spend time together and talk baseball. An unfair trade. A priceless baseball traded for a chewed up baseball. Now that's just a silly example of an unfair trade because I want, you to I want us to understand this morning that the gospel is the most lopsided trade ever offered to mankind. He came to give us not only to die for our sins, but then to invite us into relationship, to promise us a Holy Spirit placed inside of us so that we will never have to, to live life on our own and try to overcome this sinful, broken world and all our struggles on our own. I'm gonna walk by you, I'm gonna be near you, I'm gonna see you, I'm gonna care, I'm gonna draw close to you when you're hurting. And what do we give him in return? It's free. 
I'm going to take all of your mess, all of your garbage. In fact, when I go to the cross, I'm going to know that in a couple thousand years, there's going to be a group of people in Salem, Oregon, who claim to be followers of me. And they're not going to be perfect people. And they're going to continue to struggle in their sin. But I love them so much that in spite of their sin, I'm going to continue to go and I'm going to pay for all their sins, past, present, and future, because I love them. And so while most trades are intended to give both sides fair value, the gospel is a lopsided offer to all who would believe. And so because of Christ's perfect sacrifice, we can trade four things. Let's go through them quickly. First, we can trade shadow for substance. Shadow for substance. Look at verse one. It says, since the law was, has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year what he's saying to this audience is that all those, those uh, religious practices, the sacrificial system, all those rules and laws I gave you, they were just a shadow. They were never meant to be the solution. They were just a shadow. The law couldn't save you. It couldn't put an end to death. And as long as that sacrificial system remind, uh, remained in place, it was just a reminder that their sin problem hadn't been dealt with yet. And so while the law provided a shadow, Christ provided substance. What is substance? It's something that could actually make a difference. Look what it says in Colossians 2.17. It says, these, the law, are a shadow of what is to come. The substance is Christ. Christ came as the perfect sacrifice. He came to do what the law could not do, to fulfill the law and the prophets, so that he was a qualified sacrifice, meaning he had no sins of his own to die for. And that allowed him to take on the sins of the world. Because of Christ's perfect sacrifice, we can trade something hollow, just traditions and religious practices and these things that we, we try to do to try to earn God's favor or try to make us clean or try to deal with our sin problem. And we can trade that stuff that never avails for something that actually can cleanse us from the inside out, Christ. It's a beautiful thing. And what the author here in Hebrews is trying to get, the, the underlying statement that he's trying to do by presenting Christ as his perfect sacrifice it's to stop turning to those things in your life that can't help you. Stop turning to those things that you think are gonna make your life better, that are gonna give you more success, that are gonna make you a better person, that are gonna make you more presentable to God. Stop turning to things that you think will make you in good standing with God and turn to the one who can. Turn to the Savior, not to a shadow. Christ wasn't a shadow. He was the Savior. But the second thing we can trade is our brokenness for his holiness. There's a word here, sanctified. It's said a couple of times. Look at verse 10. It says, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. In verse 14, we see that word again. It says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. This idea of sanctification is to be set apart, to be made complete, to be in the process of being made clean or holy. Shame and guilt are something that sin causes in the life of a person. Shame is this idea that because of what I've done, that is who I am. And a lot of us get trapped in shame. We begin to think that our identity is defined by our sinful, poor choices in the past. 
Guilt is the remorse of something that I did. It's no, when I know I've done something wrong, I feel guilt. But the gospel takes from us our shame, this idea that we're broken, and it moves us into sanctification. It makes us holy. I was sitting in a staff meeting one time many years ago. I was a teacher at a Christian school. And so I had the privilege of having morning devotions with our staff, something that not all teachers get to do. And one morning that staff devotion was being led by our superintendent, a man named Brad, a godly man, a man that was, had a great impact in my life. And he asked a very interesting question one morning. He said to us, how does God see you right now? He knows everything you've been thinking. He knows everything you've done in secret. How would you describe God's opinion of you right now? Immediately, I began to roll through the, the last week in my mind, kind of going, uh, what have I done this week? And I thought of a word, disappointed. God's probably pretty disappointed in me. I know better, I was raised better. But then Brad took us to this really amazing verse in Colossians and he read it. He said, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death, and listen to this, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Brad said, no matter what you've done this week, not giving license to it, not dismissing it. If it was sin, it needs to be confessed. If it's sin, it needs to be turned away from, repented for. But because of what Christ has done in his physical body, taking our place, if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in him and his Holy Spirit lives inside you, he's not disappointed. He sees you as holy and blameless and faultless because he sees you in Christ. He sees his son Sometimes we walk around with this brokenness of just we're reminded of our failures and how we continue to have this propensity to trip over the things that we've been working so hard and, and asking God to help us have victory in. And that can be a slow process. We can get discouraged. And the enemy loves to throw fiery darts that accuse us. It says that he's an accuser trying to say, you're no good. You think, see, God sees that. See, you're not worthy of his love. You're, you're beyond saving. You have no hope. Look at how your kids turned out. Look at how your marriage is going. Think about all those people that you've hurt along the way by your sinful choices. And the accuser is just trying to keep us in our brokenness, trying to keep us with this idea that our identity is not in Christ. It's as an outsider. But in Christ, we can trade our brokenness for holiness. Positionally, we are in Christ, meaning we are holy, faultless, and blameless. And practically, we are being sanctified. Yes, we still can struggle with that old man, but no longer does it have control over us. And if we will continue to seek after him and, and ask for his help 
and abide in his spirit, we can live a spirit-filled life where we can actually begin to live differently. Your identity is not defined by what you've done, but by what he says you are. And that's because of a perfect sacrifice. Third thing we can trade is doubt for assurance. Doubt for assurance. Verse 11 says, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. Think about that job, doing something that never will end because it's never quite effective. And then look what it says in verse 12, but this man, speaking of Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. This is an amazing statement because for the high priest, Their work was never done. Every day they kept working, kept sacrificing every single day. There was always more sins to pay for, but Christ came as the perfect sacrifice, offered his life one time and he sat down. Why? Because the work was done. It's finished. Christ's sacrifice makes us secure. The old system couldn't do that, but his perfect sacrifice was once and for all. This was a struggle for the Hebrews. And I think it's a struggle for us because the question is, okay, Christ did that for me, but is it truly enough? I really want to make sure because I'm really, again, struggling with guilt. I'm struggling with brokenness. I I still know how sinful I am. Maybe I need to help God get this salvation thing across the goal line. If you have ever struggled with that, you're not alone. The book of Galatians is written to a group of people who were struggling with that, going, I believe in Christ, but really there's nothing else I can do to help the Lord? It says in Galatians chapter three, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish that after beginning by the spirit, you are now finishing in the flesh? What a powerful statement. You couldn't start your salvation and then some, for some reason we wanna think that we're gonna help God finish it out, carry it across. Like, he's just looking at us going, don't need your help. That's not helpful. Stop trying to help. So what would, what would prevent us from accepting Christ's help? What would prevent us from just having this assurance of going, I'm in Christ, no longer broken, holy, no longer believing in things that are a shadow. I believe in what is real, substance. What would, what would prevent it? It's doubt. Doubt that Christ is enough or here's one that's a little bit more scary for me. Doubt that we even need God's help. Both are foolishness. And what the scriptures are saying here is that instead of living a life where we're trying to do it on our own, but really in the back of our mind, we really don't have assurance. Did I do enough? Am I good enough? Will this last? I can trade all that uncertainty for assurance because he finished the work. He's sitting at the right hand of the father and one day he will return for his church to be with him forever. Last thing we can exchange is guilt for forgiveness. I love how it ends here in verse 17 and 18. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. 
Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Some of my, some of my mind kind of just like, how is this possible? Because he's also a God that knows all things. So how is it that he forgets? Don't get lost in that. The reality is this, that he actually can do a supernatural divine level of forgiveness where he says, I'm not gonna hold those things against you. I'm not gonna drag them up. You know when we can kind of forgive in a human way and it's like, but when someone makes us really mad, we drag out those old offenses and remind them of how much we've forgiven them. (laughs) He doesn't do that. It's settled as if it never happened because he paid for it on the cross. How many of you this morning would love to receive that kind of forgiveness? How many of you this morning would want to believe that you are actually forgiven in that way? It's possible. Forgiveness is something we receive. It's never something we earn. And he's offering it to us freely. I have a personal Golden Gate Bridge in my life. It's my retaining wall outside my house. Every year, no matter what I do, how I treat it, moss grows. I've done the math. It takes me a little over 10 hours to clean this whole wall. It is messy because of the angles of the rock. It gets all over me. If you ever drive past my house and I'm doing this, I'm gonna be covered in like a hazmat suit because it's just spraying me the whole time. Can't see. Constantly working on this. And no matter how perfect I get it to look, how I get all the moss off, and that first day when it's all complete, I can step back and go, man, that looks awesome. It's just a few short weeks or months before it starts to come back. You know, when you work on something and it takes a lot of effort and then it doesn't seem to last very long, you know what our natural human inclination is in those situations? We either start to compromise our standards and settle for less or we just give up. When we try to fix our problems, when we try to overcome our sinful bents, when we try to cleanse our conscience of what we've done, we will inevitably reach a point where we will either settle or we will stop. But in Christ, his complete perfect sacrifice means that complete forgiveness is possible, a complete solution at once and for all. We are working so hard once we become saved, some of us to try to like be clean and like make ourselves clean. And he's saying, I've already done the work, let me do the cleaning. Will you just abide in me? So this is what God would have us do this morning, I believe. The gospel isn't something that you and I are to add to our lives. It's the reality our lives were meant to exist in. And so my question for you this morning is this. Which of these four trades do you need help making this week? Today. There's a beautiful invitation in John chapter 8 where these men were trying to catch Jesus. They were trying to trick him so that they could persecute him. And they, they dragged this woman out. They caught her in an act of adultery. They drag her out into the public square and they asked Jesus what should happen. Many of you probably know the story. He gets on the ground. He starts riding some stuff in the dirt. There's so much speculation about what that is. Again, don't waste your time with that. There's nothing in the Bible that tells you what he was writing. But then he says this, let the person who has 
you know, the least amount of sin, cast the first stone. Begin one by one, they all, all the accusers begin to go away until they're all gone. Jesus looks at this woman and he said, where are all your accusers? And he said, they all went away. And he says, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Was Jesus giving like, oh, it's not that big a deal? No. Was he condoning the sin? No. He showed compassion, showed grace, showed forgiveness. But then he invited her to live differently. How much better for you and I now who have received the Holy Spirit, having all our sins forgiven, past, present, and future in Christ, how much greater of an opportunity we have now to follow him. It was never about the sacrifices. You need to know that. It says it here. You did not desire sacrifice and offering. You might go, well, what? He put it into place. He didn't put it into place to be a, a solution. Throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see these, these statements that said, you were never focused on the sacrifices. It was never about the sacrifices. The sacrifices were this necessary symbol for a time that was gonna point ahead to Christ. But what does God truly desire from us? He desires that we would be in fellowship and union with him. It's always been about our obedience and our walk with him. His desires for you and for me to abide in him, to worship him alone. And so this morning, we hear about this perfect sacrifice, what he has done for us. And the invitation is a trade. Will you trade me? all that hollow religion and all these things you're pursuing for something of substance, something that could actually change your life. Would you trade? Would you trade all that brokenness, all those wrong ideas, all that guilt you carry around for holiness and believe that I've forgiven that, I'm gonna begin to cleanse you from the inside out? Would you trade me all your doubt about how good I am, how good you are? Would you trade all that for the assurance to know that it is finished? My sacrifice did the work and is freely yours by belief. Would you trade all that guilt for forgiveness and know that when you stand before me, I look at you as holy and blameless as my child. That's the promise of the gospel. That's what he wants to do for you and I today. Will we do that with him? My prayer is that we will. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the truth that the work is finished. That unlike the Old Testament system where sacrifices were continually offered because there was continually sin that needed to be atoned for, Christ was the perfect once and for all sacrifice who paid the penalty for all sins, past, present, and future, and sat down at the right hand of the Father because the work was done and now offers us freely the good news of victory over the problem of sin, the pain of sin, the penalty of sin. God, you are constantly sharing this good news throughout the word of God and you're inviting us to to trade with you all these things that we grab a hold on, all these things that are trying to drag us down. You're saying, give those to me and, and I will exchange you for something so much greater. God, would you help us 
to not just add the gospel to our lives, but you would help us exist in that, that the gospel would direct us, it would define us, and it would defend us. God, thank you for the certainty we can have because the sacrifice was qualified, sufficient, and perfect. We love you. We thank you. And I pray that you'd help us live this out in your son's name. Amen.